Good afternoon, and welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And now with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Uh, there's really only one place to start tonight, and that's uh, the uh, unprecedented uh, scenes or, or, or events uh, over the last 24 hours. Um, just to give a bit of context, we'll, we'll, we'll take a little step back. Um, as we know, uh, after the last elections, a so-called unity government was formed between Benny Gantz's uh, Blue and White and uh, uh, Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's Likud party. Uh, there was a coalition agreement signed where one would serve uh, first, that would be Netanyahu, and the Gantz would serve, there'd be equity in government positions and on votes, uh, there would have to be agreement on uh, significant votes. The basic law, uh, which is quasi-constitutional, Israel does not have a uh, constitution, a written constitution, but it has what's called basic laws, which are quasi-constitutional, and therefore there's a higher threshold uh, than regular laws to pass and to overrule, et cetera, et cetera. And it was changed to allow for this uh, unique situation where there'd be two prime ministers, equity and equality in government decisions, et cetera. And as we know, the government didn't really last very long um, and we went to the fourth elections, uh, but the government until a new government is passed remains uh, uh, in place and the coalition agreement remains in place. What happened was um, Avi Nissenkorn, who was uh, Blue and White's justice minister, according to the coalition agreement, Blue and White, would get the justice minister in the coalition negotiations. Abi Nissenkorn was that justice minister for uh, the majority of the coalition's life, um, but he resigned uh, in the lead up to the last elections, the recent elections. Uh, he decided to jump ship and move to another party. In the end, that party didn't even run in the elections. It was Ron Kaldei's party. And as we know, they didn't even run. So Avi Nissenkorn basically uh, was left uh, in no position. Uh, when that happened, um, the position of justice minister then reverted to Benny Gantz uh, and is really allowed to hold multiple positions, at least for a certain amount of time, but it was uh, only supposed to be interim. It was, I think, I believe three months. That three months uh, ran out on April 1st. And since April 1st, Israel has not had a justice minister, uh, which was quite a remarkable situation considering everything that's going on. At that point, uh, as you know, we know from a few weeks ago, Prime Minister Netanyahu's future was in the ascendancy. There was a lot of optimism and confidence from his camp that he would continue being Prime Minister, he'd be able to put together the next government and the coalition, et cetera, et cetera. So he saw no particular reason to give Benny Gantz uh, to continue with the reins of the Justice Minister Ministry because uh, there was many decisions, whether ideological or personal, that Benny Gantz could take and even did take which would be against uh, Netanyahu's interests, either whether on an ideological basis, maybe he would be uh, um, appointing certain justices that were more from the left of center. Uh, from a personal point of view, it could be that uh, he would uh, 
do things or not do things which would hurt Netanyahu's case or Netanyahu himself wanted to be able to appoint and replace some of the key figures in his ongoing investigations and trial, the Attorney General. So basically it was left, uh, it was left open. There were uh, rumblings from the justice system that he should uh, uh, replace, uh, should appoint a new justice minister, but uh, it's something that could be easily ignored. Ironically or not, um, considering everything that's going on in Israel, again, the coronavirus had its say. What was happening is a ruling had run out or needed to be uh, ruled again that uh, prisoners uh, were being brought to court as opposed to basically before it ran out, prisoners uh, or cases were allowed to do uh, video uh, conferencing for their uh, trials uh, instead of actually being brought to court, obviously because of safety and health issues, but that uh, whatever ruling, temporary ruling was uh, running out. And it was uh, coming to a point where hundreds, I don't know exactly how many, maybe thousands of non-vaccinated prisoners would be brought into courthouses and potentially infect many people. And then it was decided that the justice system would kick in and say, well, we need a decision. We need the justice minister. Don't forget, all during this time, uh, because there was no equity in the cabinet, uh, uh, basically the cabinet was not allowed to meet. So we didn't have the security cabinet meeting on issues to do with Iran, to issues to do with Hamas or whatever it is. We didn't have the coronavirus. There were many uh, also other decisions that were allowed to slip. Uh, you know, they, they weren't extended. I mean, basically we had to a certain extent a non-functioning government, but uh, the Supreme Court in Israel uh, ruled, they were asked to by a, an NGO movement for quality government, uh, basically asked them to rule on uh, forcing the government to appoint a justice minister, uh, minister, which they did. And they said the government had 48 hours to do so. A meeting of the government was uh, organized um, and on the agenda was one thing, to appoint Benny Gantz as the next uh, justice minister. That didn't happen. Right, actually, there was a vote and it was voted against. It was voted down because the whole Netanyahu bloc voted against it. What uh, then happened was something pretty unprecedented. Uh, interestingly enough, just before, uh, I'm leading up to it, don't worry, uh, one of the Likud ministers, uh, the, the government meetings these days happen on Zoom, who didn't understand that his, um, uh, his uh, uh, you know, voice wasn't on mute, said, oh, I've got a feeling that the prime minister will just throw some random liquid name into the mix to see what happens. And lo and behold, a, a few minutes later, Prime Minister Netanyahu, out of nowhere, decided to say, okay, let's have a vote on Ofer Kunis uh, to be the next justice minister. Uh, not only was the fact that that wasn't in the agenda, um, it actually went against the coalition agreement, which went against the basic law, the quasi-constitutional law, and the attorney general who is on these uh, government meetings to be able to give a, a legal opinion on various matters, said this is unconstitutional, this is illegal, and this vote should not take place. Netanyahu decided to have the vote anyway, and Ofer Kunis won a majority, and Netanyahu considered him to be the next justice minister. The attorney general then asked the Supreme Court for an injunction on this. Uh, they basically froze it and said Israel does not have a justice minister, and they were going to make a decision today, and in fact they were going to have it live uh, broadcast, which is also unprecedented, really to show what was going on. Uh, the president got involved, lots and lots of uh, people got involved, the media went crazy about it, 
because here was literally someone who was upholding the whole government system, the basic laws, the quasi-constitutional nature of the state of Israel, the government, everything for his personal whims, let's say. Uh, and as we were getting closer to a court decision, in the end, Netanyahu bought. He basically uh, retreated from his position and he said to Benny Gantz, I will appoint you, I will, let's have a government vote and you'll be appointed the next justice minister. So what basically happened? I mean, this, this sounds like a relatively technical, bureaucratic uh, decision, but it wasn't. It was a lot more than that. The, 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 the media from the right and the left, the parties from the right and the left really slammed this because this really seemed to just go beyond anything that's happened before. Here was a prime minister who basically wasn't adhering to what he himself had signed, what he had agreed to, what he had voted on, and basically decided that the rule of law in Israel was less relevant than his personal political interest. This is how it was playing out. Most importantly, I would say, is what this proved is that Netanyahu is flailing. He has six more days uh, of his mandate, and he's no closer to forming a government. There still remains a, a possibility he will do, but the policy, uh, the, that policy possibility seems to decrease by the day, and the, the, the so-called change camp is certainly, the momentum has moved, you know, we talked last week, the momentum has moved across. Well, there's massive momentum now against the Netanyahu government and possibly for a change government. As I said, in six days, the president will have to decide whether he's going to give someone in the change camp the, uh, the mandate to form a government or just throw it uh, to the Knesset uh, where they have a certain amount of time to receive 61 signatures for one particular person. But this Netanyahu maneuver, uh, it's now being framed as the April maneuver, uh, basically what it, what it did, and I think this really speaks to the panic of the Prime Minister at the moment, because Prime Minister Netanyahu, as, as I've said many times, he knows how to do this. He's a strategist when others are tacticians. He's usually playing a few steps ahead. This was a major strategic uh, mistake. You know, it may have tactically looked good for him or not looked good for him, but may, maybe achieved uh, a situation where he could then uh, choose one of his allies to be uh, justice minister. And as I said, maybe replace some of the things, some of the people in the system, et cetera, et cetera. But what it did more than anything else is it gave a massive boost to the change government because what they now saw, even if they doubted it before, here was a person who would not adhere or listen or keep the word of you know, himself, his own written agreements, coalition agreements. And uh, you know, every other day he's offering uh, uh, the rotation of prime minister to someone different. So far, according to media reports, he's offered it to Benny Gantz, he's offered it to um, Gidon Saiz, offered it to Naftali Bennett. And here he was basically going against everything that he promised before. So what that did on a strategic level, it really gave momentum to the change camp and say, this is a person who cannot be trusted. He can offer me the earth. And then the day after I sign, he'll, he'll renege on it. So what that did is it really gave some wind in the sails of the change camp. Today, we saw some unprecedented meetings. We saw a right-wing religious leader, Naftali Bennett, sitting down with an Islamist party leader, Mansour Abbas, and apparently, by all, uh, by all measures, it was a very good conversation. They say the two really got on. Uh, they were well prepared for the meeting. They talked uh, on very practical uh, issues. And that could be another obstacle, potentially, to the change camp uh, forming a government. 
the, the next obstacle will be, well, there's a few obstacles. First of all, Benny Gantz today, interestingly on the media, he was asked again and again and again, do you rule out sitting again with Prime Minister Netanyahu in a unity government, this time where you would go first in rotation? And he refused to say he wouldn't. Now, it could be that's just a negotiating tactic, uh, or it could be this is a person who's made a mistake once and he could well be making the same mistake again. The other important thing to look out for is who, if, if President Rivlin is going to give the mandate to someone else, who is it going to be? Is it going to be Lapid or is it going to be Bennett? Now, this isn't just a sort of uh, an irrelevant point because, you know, there's talk that they will both be prime ministers, uh, uh, Naftali Bennett first, Lapid second. But the point of who to give the mandate, again, we've got to stress this because we've talked about this before, is who then controls the arrangements committee in the Knesset. And as we've talked before, at the moment, Miki Zohar of the Likud, uh, a very close ally of uh, Netanyahu, controls, he's the chairman of the arrangements committee, but the arrangements committee in itself has a majority for the change camp. Once uh, it goes, the mandate goes over to Lapid or Bennett, Whoever gets that then controls the arrangements committee. If it's Bennett, then there is a possibility he could still allow certain votes to go through that would be uh, good for Netanyahu, at least use this as leverage uh, for the, uh, against the, the, you know, some of his uh, potential partners in the change camp. If it's Lapid, we can kiss goodbye to any idea of passing, uh, you know, direct elections or or any of these other things that would be very favorable uh, to Netanyahu. So it is very important. And we can see that even though all the major players in the change camp are meeting, uh, there's been a lot of, um, you know, uh, they've been, uh, some of these leaders and their advisors have basically been telling the media who's going to be which position, um, even though some of the more left-wing parties are upset about certain uh, policies and decisions that appear to be made. But a lot of this is jockeying uh, for influence and leverage, uh, but it does seem that like, the negotiations are pretty advanced. There is talk that they would need to be or will be finished uh, at the weekend uh, or maybe early next week, which would be in time then to be able to go to the president and say this person deserves the mandate and that person would then, according to them, would uh, be able to then put together a government. Again, we have to stress that the change government as it is only has 58 seats, so what would happen? It could be one, one situation is that they rely on a party like Ram on the outside. The other, and this is something that's uh, starting to happen, is they're going to try and have the ultra-Orthodox parties um, abstain on the uh, vote to form a government in the hope uh, of perhaps them coming in in a year, a year and a half time to the government to give it a little bit more uh, breadth uh, to it. But they say that their, that their trade-off for that is ensuring that Avigdor Liebman uh, would not serve as finance minister, which apparently is a position that's been promised to him and one that certainly he seeks. Um, and there is talk of even the ultra-Orthodox coming in at the beginning and leaving uh, Avigdor Liebman and perhaps merits outside, and that would have enough to form uh, a government. So we'll have to wait and see exactly what happens. Lots more uh, happening, but it's clear that this week um, there is great momentum against Netanyahu. Netanyahu only has six days. Again, I've said it many times, don't bet against him. He, he's, he's, I'm sure he's, he's balancing a lot of things. 
He's trying a lot of different uh, uh, suggestions. It could be, if it comes to it, uh, it could be he's prepared to give up uh, the first rotation. Um, but as we know, he'll need at least two parties. Naftali Bennett isn't enough because that only gives him 59. So he needs to bring in at least two parties. And the question is, if you need two parties, which one do you give the rotation to? Uh, so these are all questions that Netanyahu has to deal with. But as I said, uh, it's looking less and less likely that he'll continue, but you never get, uh, you never bet against Bibi. And with that, I'm happy to uh, answer any questions. All right, thank you so much. Uh, so the first question is, what does the typical Israeli citizen think about the election situation in their country and the difficulty to come up with a government? Are they turned off by the situation or a little excited for the need for another election? <laughs> Uh, very few people are excited about the possibility of a fifth election. Uh, Israelis are fed up. Unfortunately, according to all polls, not enough that they're changing their position. Uh, all polls basically speak to if there was, again, a poll is a poll, but if, uh, you know, the polls that we see, if they show that if there were elections on that particular day and, and over the last week, uh, then we'd still have the same uh, you know, deadlock uh, as we have today. So it's clear that we're not in a situation where enough of Netanyahu's Likud supporters have, have uh, deserted him. Um, and those who are against Netanyahu have not been deserted. There's always a little bit of movement within the block, uh, within the blocks, but um, the situation hasn't changed, but certainly Israelis, uh, every poll that I've seen, overwhelmingly do not want a fifth election. And I think that is allowing for these sort of, let's say, quote unquote, strange relationships between right and left, between you know, religious right-wing uh, leaders and Islamist uh, leaders, uh, because they know that, um, and, and, they, and they've stated this many, many times, that the people do not want another election. And they're prepared for a lot, to see a lot of things happen uh, just to prevent that from happening. Thank you so much. And well, you brought up the Islamist party. Uh, what are the major pros and cons of including the Islamist party in the formation of a new government? Well, firstly, it's unlikely that they'll actually be in the government. What both sides are talking about is that they'll support them from the outside, because as we know, a government needs 61. Neither side have 61. Both sides uh, are talking, not openly, because no one wants to talk at this point openly about uh, being supported by uh, Ram but they're both playing behind the scenes very intensively. And we saw, by the way, this week, I didn't mention that Likud created a committee, uh, gave Mansour Abbas the chairmanship of it. Uh, I can't remember the exact title of it, but basically to deal with uh, Arab society. And it was uh, a, a, you know, a great win for Abbas. We saw these pictures of him hugging Likud leaders, uh, which certainly you know, put the change camp a little bit into disarray. Um, but he's, he's been meeting with both sides uh, regularly. Um, listen, at the end of the day, the fact that we will have a minority government is not good for stability and governability uh, in Israel. I personally, my, my view is whatever side actually wins out, if any side wins out, will have elections within a year anyway. I don't see how a minority government uh, exists and survives. I mean, both sides have been saying that what happens the first time Israel needs maybe to have, a, a, you know, to do something militarily against Gaza, will Ram sit comfortably, even if it's on the outside supporting such a government, uh, you know, even any, any sort of moves, would it be able to take down illegal 
uh, structures or infrastructure in our villages, in our areas. Um, this is something which, you know, uh, is, a, is a major problem, but with having a government reliant on a party like Ram, would it be able to do? Would it be able to take such a step? Um, so that's obviously a, a great disadvantage. The advantage is for the first time in history, uh, you'd have uh, a significant Arab party, at least wielding a certain amount of power. I think that's a positive thing because it can show what the Arab leadership and the Arab population can do when it works with the government and the state rather than against it. So I think those are some of the pros and cons uh, of potentially Ram not being in the government, because I don't think anyone's talked about that, although it remains entirely possible at some point, but even uh, being supportive on the outside. Thank you. That actually brings us to our next question. Uh, if Ram Party supports minority government from the outside, what might happen if Israel goes to war again with Gaza? I mean, as I said, I think it would be very, very difficult uh, for a government to to take such steps. Uh, although, on the, on the other hand, it wouldn't because, you know, I think you'd find a consensus amongst the Zionist parties, the mainstream parties, if we needed to go to war uh, with Hamas or, you know, one of the other terrorist groups, uh, you know, there, there's, there's pretty much, when it comes to these situations, you have all to all support from all the major parties. Um, so in that situation, you would certainly have a certain amount of unity. I, you can't imagine you could voting against not that there's necessarily a vote because it's usually a government decision, but not supporting them. You would find, as you do with every uh, sort of operation like that, uh, you find war tool support from the opposition, again, except for the extreme, extreme left or the Arab parties, you find war tool support for uh, the steps that Israel would need to take. Understood, thank you. And is there any chance that one or more MKs from Likud would jump ship and join the change camp? That's an interesting question. Uh, the first thing that needs to be said is according to the law, if less than a third came, they would not be able to run again afterwards. They'd basically be you know, uh, hurting their career, their personal career. It's certainly possible if the change camp does form a government, it will certainly put a lot of pressure uh, within the liquid, either defectors, which I think is less likely, but I think what's more likely is that there'll be great pressure inside to replace Netanyahu. Netanyahu is in a good position, Likud, even if he does lose the mandate, even if he does lose the prime ministership, he still controls vital committees within the Likud hierarchy. Um, he still has a lot of loyalty, uh, but certainly that would ebb. Um, but a lot would depend on what the so-called big names would come and do. A lot of the backbenchers are very supportive of Netanyahu. They need him. Uh, you know, he repays he, he them with positions, etc. But some of the bigger names that, you know, Yuri uh, Edelstein, uh, Yisrael Katz, Nir Barkat, who's probably, according to every poll that I've seen, the most popular leader after him. There's also Chaim Bibas, who's the mayor of Modi'in, who's a very powerful, they could figure, and it was already said that he would like to replace Netanyahu. So there would be tremendous pressure within they could, but it wouldn't be an easy thing to do because, uh, again, as we saw this week, Netanyahu still wields significant power than they could this week he asked for the Likud Central Committee to vote uh, to allow him to bring in another party to run on a joint list in the next elections. Now that was just to give him leverage in negotiations or maybe there is a party that he's signing with. You know, if there is, then he's kept it uh, very well secretive. Um, but what it does is give him leverage. But the fact that he was able to pass it with a massive majority shows that he still wields tremendous influence. But if he was weakened by someone else 
coming into the prime minister's uh, residence and he would then go to opposition. He would be weakened, uh, but to what extent remains to be seen. Thank you. And can you just discuss a little further the pros and cons of Lapid versus Bennett being uh, mandated for the government? Right. So again, the, the only real difference, if again, they are negotiating in, in, you know, uh, together and everything is being done in good faith, the only real difference to one of them getting it over the other one is the fact that whoever holds the mandate also controls the leadership of the arrangements committee. And as we said, the arrangements committee controls the agenda of the Knesset, which means whoever controls that basically will decide what laws come up before our government's been formed. Now, there's a lot of laws that uh, would like to be passed on both sides. On the change camp, they would like to pass uh, a law which would invalidate Netanyahu from even running in future elections. Uh, Netanyahu would certainly like to see what he's floated is direct elections, where we wouldn't go to parliamentary elections, but just a direct elections on the prime minister's role. Um, so those are very important. If Lapid gets it, then you know, anything even close to what Netanyahu wants is going to be out of the window. And in fact, Netanyahu would be more at risk. Uh, but if Naftali Bennett uh, gets it, then, you know, first of all, he's more to the right. He's more ideologically aligned with the right-wing party. Um, so there's certain things that he wouldn't do that Lapid would. Uh, but it basically gives them significant power in the Knesset and over the Knesset agenda uh, over the coming weeks until a government was formed. And I'm sure it's too early to say, but is the president leaning any which way? Um, I mean, it, it probably will be out, it will be the, the decision of the president, but I'm sure when it comes to it, they'll come together. You know, I don't think they'll go against each other, uh, uh, you know, towards the president. I think they'll come in a position, but at the moment, there's negotiations that both are trying to get that uh, leverage, trying to get that position. But I think when it comes to it, they won't, uh, they'll, they'll come as a unified position. I don't see, they'll go against each other and see who gets more votes because I don't think that'll work out too well. And it could be then the president will just say, well, there's obviously no unity on this side. So I'm just gonna throw it uh, to the Knesset because that was the original feeling when he uh, was let's say forced to give to Netanyahu the first mandate, there was a feeling that he would then just, he wouldn't give a second mandate. He would just then throw it uh, to the Knesset. But now it seems at least uh, according to media reports, that he's uh, moved back from that and he is prepared to give a second candidate a chance to form a government. Thank you. And going back a little bit here, are there signs that Ram is uh, modifying its anti-Zionist platform? Not officially, certainly. Um, its language, at least from the top, let's say from Mansour Abbas, in Hebrew at least again, uh, seems to be far more moderate. Um, but the, the manif manifesto of the party has not been changed, at least to the best of my knowledge, and I don't think there's any uh, cause for it. Um, whether that would uh, need to be done, whether that would be something that would be asked uh, for whoever the former government, the problem is at the moment that Ram has the leverage, uh, so there's no real interest for other parties to make it a problem uh, for Ram. Uh, they want to, to give Ram whatever they want at this point. Uh, but Ram, you know, Mansour Abbas has shown that he's, he's a clever politician. He knows how to play the game. That's why he's held a few recent uh, press conferences and he's gone a little bit further each time. 
uh, with his moderate positions and how he wants to be part of society and he wants to work with it. And for him, you know, Arab society needs to be looked after and, and you know, not fight against the state and whatever. Again, I'm, you know, I'm not using his exact words, but certainly um, his verbal comments in Hebrew have been far more moderate than we've seen in, in, in recent months or, or, or even years, but there's no official change to the party's platform. Um, and I don't think that will happen at the moment, but uh, possibly in the future, especially if it seems to work for them, that the more they moderate, the more they get from the state, uh, because that's certainly important for their society and also important for, for Mansour Abbas and his party uh, politically going forward. Thank you. And our last question of the day is, is there any response to the news that John Kerry leaked classified information about Israeli's activities uh, in Syria to Iran? Um, I mean, there was there was a little bit of reaction, nothing official, obviously, uh, because John Kerry is still part of, well, he is part of the new administration. Um, but certainly it's not something that would be seen behind closed doors uh, very kindly and very likely, um, but there's been no official uh, reaction to that, but uh, obviously with all the sensitivities surrounding uh, the discussions of a possible return uh, of the US to the JCPOA, uh, there's all these sort of leaks and trying to, again, create leverage um, between the parties. Israel is trying to do as much as possible to try and put its position forward. As We didn't talk about it, but we see senior Israeli security officials, uh, national security advisor, we met with the American National Security Advisor today. We see the head of the Mossad, uh, chief of staff uh, in, in the US, really trying to you know, uh, signal Israel's position. And not just Israel, by the way. We, we know that uh, senior US uh, administration officials are coming to the region. They're not necessarily coming to Israel because they're also gauging um, you know, the, and feeding out what some of the other allies in the region, mostly the pragmatic Sunni, nations feel about the JCPOA, although a potential American return, and obviously they're not going to hear necessarily good things because they are as worried about uh, the Iran nuclear situation as Israel is, in many cases, maybe even a little bit more. So uh, we're, we're at a very sensitive time. You know, the talks in Vienna are ongoing. Uh, Israel and many of its uh, allies, let's say, uh, or those on the same side of it as the region, are certainly trying to get their message across because there is a feeling in the region that America wants to get back to uh, the agreement, whether it's going to be the JCPOA or the JCPOA 2.0, which people are talking about, um, perhaps a slightly upgraded agreement. It's clear that the Americans want it, um, but it's also important that uh, Israel and, and its other allies in the region are giving its opinion forward, and that's really where the focus is. And while there was certainly interest uh, what Kerry did or didn't say, uh, it's more of a sideshow to, you know, the real important issue. Understood. Well, thank you so much. We've come so close to our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us. For our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Hassan Da'i discussing the Ayatollah's Americans. Uh, thank you all again and have a great day. <laughs>